What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 29 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we can be in the place that God has put us. Well, I am praying today that our time together is exactly what you needed. You know, we've spent a lot of time in the sports world. We've spent a lot of time in the business world. But today's guest, Aaron Nequist, you are going to absolutely enjoy Aaron is going to cause you to think about leadership maybe a little differently. Aaron is a songwriter. He's been a worship leader at one of America's greatest churches. He's an author. He's a liturgist. And he is a guy that just has a fascinating view of how God has used him and how God may want to use him in the future and definitely wants to use you. So today is going to do a little perspective flip for you. Today is a day that you may want to slow down. You may want to pull out a pen or pencil, take out your thumbs to do some typing or your or your fingers to do some typing on your keyboard. And today's a day I think God is going to use to stretch you and push you. Because to be the leader that he's created us to be, we've got to expand our horizons a little bit. And Aaron Nequist certainly helps us do that. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my time with Aaron Nequist. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It's an honor to have you, buddy. Thanks so much. Well, you have been on quite a journey and God has used you in some incredible ways. If you could rewind a little bit, go back to middle school, high school, Aaron, did huh. you did you see yourself as a leader then? Was that how you thought of yourself back then? Yeah, um, you know, honestly, in in high school, not at all. Um, I was first half of high school. I played um, three sports: uh, baseball, basketball, and golf. And then uh, about my sophomore year, I went to visit one of my my one of my basketball friends. Um, was in the musical. And I was like, what are you doing? And so I show up and, 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 and watch his musical and realize, wait, that's what I want to be doing. Wow. <laughs> so that my junior year, I only went out for golf, didn't go out for baseball or basketball um, and went out for the musical that year. And that kind of shifted me into the musical, more performance side, which is kind of where my then career ended up going. I mean, Let's be honest. I, I rode the bench on the basketball team. Um, <laughs> I was a little better at baseball, but uh, but so but in those times, I was just trying to figure out who who am I and am I a sports guy? Am I a music guy? Am I both? Am I neither? You know, and it wasn't until college where I started getting uh, more into uh, worship leading and um, helping others engage with God through music that I started thinking, man, I'm 
<laughs> I might be made for this, you know? That's so cool. Yeah. And so did, what was your faith journey like at that time? When did, yeah. did, did you grow up in a home where that was just part of the, part of the deal? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian family and uh, great. I love my parents. We have a great relationship and our, our, our tradition was pretty conservative, uh, a little on the fundamentalist side. Um, so there's some things I've had to really let go, but then there's other things that I'm really, really grateful for. Um, so yeah, I grew up, was a Christian and then went to Christian college and then got a job at a church and about two years in my faith imploded. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit. I was, I've heard you talk about that. Share with me a little bit about that implosion that you walked through. Yeah. It was a really weird thing. There wasn't like a crisis moment. It's not like something terrible happened. It's not like, but I remember I was, I was working at a church. I was a worship leader and it was, you know, kind of big, big auditoriums and big rooms and rock bands and all that stuff. And I remember being backstage and I was just like, I don't think I believe any of these songs anymore. Like, it was just like, something is over. And it, and again, it wasn't like crisis or anger. It was just like the engine seizing up or running mm-hmm. out of gas or just, I, 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 I didn't believe it anymore. It was, it was, it was very complicated, especially because my job <laughs> was to <laughs> sing these songs that I didn't believe anymore. And so, yeah, it was a very, very dark time. How did you, how did you walk your way out of that? How did you keep from throwing the white flag up and just going another direction? Well, I thought about it almost every day. Um, And I think looking back, I couldn't have said this at the time, but I had a couple friends and a couple family members who weren't afraid of my nuclear doubts. They, They weren't like trying to fix me. They weren't trying to tell me I was, you know, a terrible person now. You're just like, well, let's keep talking about it and let's keep walking together. And one friend in particular um, gave me a book and this was like a long time into our conversation. So he wasn't just trying to answer my question. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, hey, what would you consider this? And he gave me The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And it was the first time I had ever heard about the kingdom of God. Mm. Like up to that point, I had just thought that Christianity was like, you're bad, say a prayer. So God lets you go to heaven someday. Like I had internalized that as the entire story. And instead now I was reading about the kingdom of God. We've been invited to join with what God is doing to redeem and restore all things. Like all of us, we're all invited, no matter if we work at a church or have never even been in a church. Like we get to participate through Christ in this restoration. And I just remember thinking, Wait, wait, wait. If that's the invitation of Christ, I'm in. Mm. I'm in. What can I do? Can I use my music to try to put the world back together? Can I use that? You know, and so that restarted my faith in a little bit of a new way. And I, it was kind of like a, I, I, I joke sometimes, like a good evangelical, I was born again, again. <laughs> you know, so it was. Quite a and I'm sure somebody counted you twice. Oh, yeah. So that's good, of course. Yeah, right, Absolutely. Right. Chalk it up. Chalk <laughs> it up. So take pre-Aaron yeah. crashing, man, just burning out. Don't know yeah. why you're burning out. You're in a great church. Yeah. You're yeah. you're in the job. You're in a job that everybody it's would kill for. Yeah. Your yeah. dream job. Yeah. You read Divine Conspiracy. You understand yeah. these things. 
what internally changed about you? The external, yeah. you know, I know you went through some changes we'll walk through, but what yeah. internally and down in that engine room of your life began to change? Oh, that is such a profound and important question. Um, I would say two things. Uh, one, kind of theologically, spiritually, and then one more like psychologically. Uh, uh, the, the theological one is... Christianity ceased, it, not, it didn't stop. For a long time, it was a set of things I had to do to please God. Mm. And that is crushing mm. because I don't know about you, I'm a profoundly broken and sinful yes, person. I absolutely. Every day, probably every hour, my wife might say even more than that. Um, so the idea that my life had to be walking on some sort of tightrope of pleasing God and making sure God, it's just a crushing, um, exhausting way to live. When I started listening, you know, it's, it's crazy that Jesus' primary message was the kingdom. If you look in the Gospels, yep. that's what he talked about over and over and over. But I didn't hear about that. When I started realizing that God, through Christ, is already pleased. Like, there's nothing I have to do to impress God. The question is, do you want to participate with this good, mm. this good grace? You know, it's not do these great things to impress me and I'll give you grace. God saying, I have poured grace through Christ. Will you receive it and join me? So it was this, I hope this doesn't sound like semantics. It was no. a life-altering flip from earning to participating. Does that resonate? Absolutely, okay, it yeah. does. And you know what I love about that? I love about that, that anybody can enter into that. That's anyway, not a, yeah. yeah, that, that, that is you at your most broken level. Do yeah. you think, do you think you could have gotten there without experience in that crisis of belief? I don't think so. I, I, <laughs> almost everything I've learned has come through crisis or failure mm. or, or running out of my own gas. You know, Richard Rohr says, um, after 30, success has nothing to teach us. Mm. And man, I hate to do admit <laughs> how much that resonates. It's true. Man, yeah. That's true. The other thing I would say, and this is um, different, but also deeply connected, is this was the season that I first started um, counseling. Mm. I grew up in a tradition that said, you know, if you've got some emotional stuff going on, just pray more. You know, don't you trust God to heal you? Uh, which, funny enough, they never said that when I had a cavity. Yep. So, so, so for the first time, and it was actually through my relationship with Shauna, who was my girlfriend at the time, we were getting serious and we had this couple that said, do you want to do pre-engagement counseling? And, and we're like, sure, that'd be great. And for the first time, it started opening up some things and I didn't know what to do with them. And so it got way worse first. Yep. And then some things broke through. And I've often said without those two um, mentors slash therapists, we would not have been able to get married. And so I'm so thankful for that season. What would you tell somebody, Aaron, that goes, you know what, I, I think I'm smart enough. 
Yeah. I'm a believer. Yeah. I'm smart enough to unpack all this by myself. I will, yeah. I'll figure it out. I help other people. I yeah. can figure it out for me. What would you tell somebody like that? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I, I still haven't met anyone who's been able to do that. Yeah. Um, and like you, I know a lot of really smart, really godly people. Um, but we just all have blind spots. Yep. We, we can't see what we can't see. And that's why loving um, friendships are so important. I just met with uh, uh, every Wednesday morning, um, two guys and I meet together for breakfast. And they are kind of lifetime friends where we're able to reflect some things back to each other. And often they'll say something and I'm like, dang it. <laughs> oh, right. But I trust them because they, yep. they care about me, you know? That's right. And so we need, I actually had a friend who said all of us need um, those close friendships. We need a mentor, someone who's walked down this path before us. We need a therapist and we need a spiritual director. Mm. And at the time he said that, I'm like, aren't they all basically the same thing? And, um, and there are, there's real overlap, but I found uh, I have a therapist right now that I've been working with for a while, and he's really helpful. And then I have a spiritual director who asks really different questions. Mm -hmm. In fact, the spiritual director said to me right one of our first meetings, he said, "Aaron's spiritual director is a misnomer." He said, "The Holy Spirit is the spiritual director. I'm just here to help you listen." And That's that so has good. been oh, it's been so so once a month. I drive over to uh, to his uh, retreat center, and we sit for an hour. And he asks me questions, and we try to listen to God together. Mm. What a gift! What, what a has gift. that opened up? So, and I was watching that interview, in fact, with him when oh, yeah. you were you guys were talking about. It. That was one of my questions. When, yeah. when when he walked into that role, here you are, you're a believer, yeah. Yeah. you got the answers, you know, you've written yeah. the songs totally. that other yeah. people are singing. Yeah. Yeah. When you began to walk and step with the spirit and you began to very much live out what the New Testament talked about of of letting letting the Holy Spirit guide your daily thoughts, actions, yeah. life. What yeah. what changed about you? What oh what gosh. did it do to change your walk? Yeah. Well, uh, it, 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 I, I mean, there's almost too many things to share. I mean, it, it's changed everything. It has changed everything everything. Maybe I'll start with a real concrete and then I'll answer that question directly. Okay. Because um, this, this man we're talking about, his name is Father Michael and he's a Jesuit priest. Yep. And for the first 20 years of my life, I didn't even think Catholics were Christians. You know, I grew up in a really uh, conservative where it was, we were suspect of them. They didn't believe the gospel, you know, and, you know, here to find out now that I'm 40, um, this Jesuit priest, a Catholic, Roman Catholic priest, has been one of the most helpful relationships for me to love and walk with Jesus Christ. Wow. It's been so surprising, I'm embarrassed to say, but also really um, helpful. And one of the big things he offered me is his tradition has this toolbox of all these different practices, all these different ways of staying open to the spirit. And as I started meeting with him, what I realized is my tradition only gave me one practice. That was the quiet time, mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I did it like every day for, you know, starting at the end of high school through all of college, you read some of the Bible and then journal. 
And that's a fantastic practice, obviously, but it's only one tool. Right. And so I started learning from him, you know, there's different ways to engage the scripture, whether it's Lexio Divina or whether it's imaginative prayer, or there's different ways to pray, whether it's centering prayer or the examine or all these different tools. And suddenly I now have all these different ways to respond to God. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really changed everything. It really changed how you were a worship leader. So at that time, yeah. you were walking through this at a phenomenal yeah. church that yeah. one, one of those flagship churches everybody in America looks to to learn from. Yeah. You begin to go through this process and change and begin a new service there to where it was a different it was different. And and I think yeah. they were pretty open about, hey, that's not who we are on Sunday morning. So that's yeah. not, not yeah. our game on Sunday mornings. But if you want to begin something, it, as you began to do that, was it freeing? Was it weird? Like, oh my yeah. gosh, people are going to think I've fallen off the wagon. They think <laughs> I've gone crazy. What were some of the emotions that you went through beginning a service that wasn't just a standard three <clears throat> song, let's see what Passion's yeah. doing, let's see what Hillsong United's doing, and yeah. learning from them, but you began to mix in liturgy, and you began to mix in prayer and some other things. How Was that a weird time for you doing that? Yeah, it, it was a weird time, but it was primarily a uh, a truly thrilling time. I think the season before that was the most complicated because I loved it. I loved our church and I loved everyone involved. These are some of the godliest, wisest, most gifted people you'll ever meet. Um, but I kept trying to force mm. <laughs> these other things into what we were doing. And um, I, I, I had commented to somebody, I would every week I was trying to force a, uh, a square peg into a round hole. And then they, at a certain point, they gave us a chance to get all of us unapologetic squares <laughs> together. And, you know, we just experiment and try things. And we'd, we'd, one of our big things is we wanted to learn from anyone who walks with God, we want to learn from them. So like, that's that the first time we invited a Jesuit priest to this evangelical suburban church. I'm like, I think I might get fired tonight. Like this might be my last step. I mean, but it was beautiful. And then we learned from all these, you know, so I think one of the biggest things that I took from this season is realizing that my tradition, which my tradition is kind of in the evangelical, um, uh, the white evangelical suburban kind of mega church. Yep. Thing. My tradition is good. It's beautiful. It's helpful to the world but it's only one slice of the huge kingdom of God, the people of God on earth. Yeah. And so whenever I, I try to make my tradition the whole story, it falls pretty flat. Yeah. But whenever I can say, hey, let me bring what I bring to the party, and then you bring what you bring to the party, and suddenly the, the story of God gets really big and diverse and beautiful. And so... Uh, well... Yeah. So you got a guy driving into work, a lady driving into work there. Yeah. They're like, well, I'm not a worship leader for a living. I, I've got, I'm working in the secular field. But what you learn in this process of the old and the ancient and the tried and the, and, and we say tradition, tradition isn't bad. There's much of yeah. tradition is, that yeah. is foundational to who we are. What can 
what can building in silence and building in a rhythm into your life provide a person that works in the secular world? They're a real estate agent, they're a coach, they're a a teacher, they're a a CEO. What can learning to live that way? Yeah. Monday to Saturday. Yeah. What can that do to change them spiritually? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think what's so cool and one of the reasons I, I am a Christian, I'm glad to be a Christian and want to stay one, is because I don't believe that God is primarily at church. That's right. Um, God is there as God is everywhere. You know, where can we flee from God's presence? Where can we run? We, we can't. God is, we are always fully immersed in the presence and the grace of God. So I think the question is, how do we become aware of it? Hmm. Um, we had a, a, a saying, uh, we used to say a lot, like, and then God showed up and this great thing happened. Or, or as a worship leader, I used to say a lot, God, we welcome you here today. You know, And at a certain point, we're like, I don't think God showed up. I think we finally showed up. That's right. God's been here all along. Well, so to your question, you know, where, wherever we are, whether we're getting ready for the next meeting, whether we're driving the Uber, whether we're um, teaching in our second grade class, whether we're meeting with the CEO, God is there. And God is trying to do something redemptive Mm. and uh, building bridges and putting things back together. God is trying to heal. And I think the invitation is, do we have eyes to see it? Mm. And then are we willing to join it? And so for me, silence is, first of all, I'm terrible at silence. I I mostly hate it and I'm not very good. My mind wanders all over. But as I've been practicing some of these ways, silence is not like how to become more religious. Silence is how do I get out of my crazy brain so I'm open enough to see what God's been doing all along. Mm. And so um, these practices have just been invaluable to be able to, I don't know, cleanse the, cleanse my eyes, open up my eyes. I don't know what the right analogy is. Um, But if I, to repeat myself, just say it one more time, these practices don't, in my opinion, I don't think these practices convince God to do anything. Mm. I think God is already doing it. I think these practices help put us in the flow. Um, like I've uh, talked about, uh, uh, about this great river, yep. and learning to swim in it. That's so good. It, you know, you, you go back to even what you learned from Dallas Willard about the kingdom and, yeah. and getting in on as a part of the redemptive story so many times. And I've got a good friend, he's a sports psychologist, but his, his phrase is you got to get the mud out of the water. You got to clear huh. things up a yeah. little bit. Now yeah. I wonder sometimes if God uses these things and for many, the quiet time and that time in prayer and some traditions and some things that you add in to clear your mind for you to see what God is up to. Absolutely. And your new book, your new book is very much driving down that vein Hmm. of the current. Talk to me a little bit about where the title came from and sort of the imagery behind that. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. The, The book is called the eternal current And the subtitle is How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. 
And um, as we've been talking about, it's very personal because I was going under. And um, the idea is the, the analogy. We actually started on Sunday nights. You, you had talked about this practice gathering that we were meeting at on Sunday nights. And we started every practice gathering for like three months the same way. We just said, there is a great river flowing throughout humanity towards the redemption and restoration of all things. But Jesus doesn't just say, believe about the river. Jesus says, learn to swim in it with me. And that was the flip. Uh, you know, when I talk about this river and God's redeeming and restoring all things, you know, as Jesus said, uh, um, giving uh, sight to the blind, uh, lifting up the oppressed, healing the sick. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we said, but Jesus didn't say, believe that's true. Mm. It is true. But the invitation is, join me, mm. join me. And so what we said for our little community was, we're going to learn a different practice every Sunday night. And again, the point of the practice is, to, is not to earn God's favor, not to be more religious, not to impress God. The, the point of the practice is another way to swim. It's almost like we wanted, instead of church as classroom, we wanted to be church as gym. So show up. We're going to talk a little about this way of, of, of swimming, and then we're going to teach you. Tonight's all about the breaststroke. You know, and then we'll do it together, not just believe that it's a good way to swim. We're going to do it together. And then next week, we're going to learn about, you know. And so the idea was, um, we used to always say, Sunday is not the main event. Yeah, I love that. that is that so good. That's okay. so good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, the point is Monday is our actual lives. Mm -hmm. Like, what is God doing in, in, your, in your family? Well, Sunday is just a training way to be able to engage what God is doing in your family. What is God doing in your um, little team at work? You know, there's that one uh, guy you work with that you hate, and he is so <laughs> annoying. And, and then there's this one other person that you're trying, you know, you're trying to impress your boss. And they, what is God doing in that? Mm -hmm. And what can we learn on Sunday nights together? But also, what can I practice Monday morning? that prepares me to join what God is doing on that crazy work team. That's um, such a great, such a great yeah. analogy. And I think the term practice is so important that you were, we were talking earlier about your little boys being in the, yeah. in the, in the, the pinch of little oh, league, man. you know, so all little league, all every kid hates practice, <laughs> yes. but it takes, but it takes practice yeah. Yeah. to be prepared yeah for that game. It gets you situationally prepared. Yeah. Do you see it much the same way spiritually? Oh, absolutely. Um, our, one, of my one of my son's coaches always says, we're going to hit off the tee today, but I don't want to hear you complaining. He says, Bryce Harper hits off a tee. That's right. Chris Bryant hits off a tee. You know, Rizzo hits off a tee. And, um, and, but the kids real are like, wait, why would I do that kind of really uh, kid-like thing? Yep. And it's because it teaches the fundamentals. That's right. You hit off a tee a thousand times, and then when you're in the bottom of the ninth, and, you know, Rollis Chapman's throwing 98, and you're trying to time that up, you have those you know, um, that muscle memory, you have uh, those things set. If I, to flip analogies, um, I had a music theory and composition teacher in college. 
And he used to make us, you know, obviously study the greats. So we'd look at Bach, we'd look at Beethoven. And he would always say, because we'd complain, because we just wanted to be Radiohead, you know, that's right. The 90s. And, uh, and he says, you have to learn the rules before you break them. Well, that's good. And I just, that is so profound. You have to hit off a tee a thousand times before in a game, your, um, your body knows what to do in that high pressure situation. And I really think it's not as mechanical. Obviously, we're dealing with the spirit. We're dealing with mystery. We're dealing with things we can't control. So it breaks down at a certain sure. point. But I think that's what some of these practices do. They align us with what God's doing all the time so that when we get in those moments, um, we're able to really respond to God in a, in a more open and more pure way. Why do you think it's so important? And I love that you made it a chapter. Why do you think it's so important that Sunday isn't, we don't look at Sunday as the main event. Yeah. We don't look at, okay, I went to church, I checked the box, now Monday yeah. to Saturday, I'm going to sort of lean in on what I learned Sunday to get me through the week. Sure. Why is it so important we get that? Well, and I, I don't want to minimize Sundays because I think they play a really important role. Um, but, you know, first of all, you just take the number of hours in a week. If a service is, you know, two hours max, that's a really small percentage of our actual life. Yeah. So if you just look at, you know, the pie chart. Um, the other thing is, um, I think there are 50 something um, one another verses in the scriptures, love one another, serve one another. You know, there's 50 something and only one or two are even possible in a church service. All the rest are only possible in a living room or in community, eye to eye with people. Um, so I think there's this whole part of the spiritual life that not only happens best outside of church, can only happen outside of a church service. And so, um, so there's that, and there's, 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 there's a bunch of them. I mean, some is, you know, where is God working in the world? Mm. God is working where we find ourselves. Um, God is working, you know, you're going to a, a, a base, is it a game or a practice? A baseball game, yeah. A game, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God is trying to do something in the, the parents who are watching and yelling along yep. with this game. I don't know what. Is it possible that there, there could be something you say um, or some interaction you have that partners with that work in them? I don't know. Yep. Maybe. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it, it's so exciting what God's doing on planet Earth that to reduce it to two hours in a sanctuary somewhere is, is shrinking it pretty profoundly. What do you hope, what do you hope God does with this book? You're a first time author. This yeah. has been, we, we talked a little bit before we went on air about the tediousness yeah. of the process of getting all this done and out. What's your goal? What do you hope that God does with this? Thanks for asking. Um, I think the the people that are most on my mind and heart, um, and I think it's because of my journey are the people who feel trapped between two options. One is, yeah, my faith doesn't totally work, but I guess I better just stay faithful and double down on this thing that doesn't work. Or I'm jumping ship from the whole faith thing. 
And I feel like those are two terrible options. Um, and I, if, if like my ultimate prayer for this book is that God would use it to help people imagine a third way. It's not just settling for what doesn't work, but it's not jumping ship. I mean, I, I believe I have had to let go a lot of a lot of parts of Christianity, but I believe more in Jesus Christ now than I have ever believed. I mean, if you just read the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, mm-hmm. blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, but like that's what the world needs. Yeah. What does our world need more than blessed are the merciful, Amen. for they shall receive mercy. And so the way of Jesus is um has never been more compelling and it gets really mucked up with you know different uh religious scaffolding and i'm probably adding my own religious scaffolding that my kids are going to need to pull down and that's all part of the journey but the way of jesus is so compelling it really and i think i think we live in a world that wants it more than ever more than they ever. just don't yep. know what they well, we were talking about this a little bit they don't even know what they want they just yeah. know that what they have isn't working yep. what they've seen in the church yep. may or may not be working yep. or it may just be too cumbersome and they know that there's something though and when you meet Absolutely. people with it yeah. it's it, it it just grabs you yeah it just grabs you you know and i know you've quoted this a lot out of matthew 11 you know, when Jesus called out and said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out with religion? Come to me, get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If a person gets that, if, if, if the average guy who just sits in church every week, average lady who sits in church gets that, what yeah. will that do to them spiritually? What will that change about them if they get that? Oh man, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Like how many people would say, my experience of faith feels like unforced rhythms of grace? Um. I think it changes everything. I, I don't want to be overly hyperbolic. Um, that feels like a grand reversal. I mean, so much of what Jesus did on earth was, hey, you've heard it said, yeah. but now I say. So yeah. it's almost like he's saying, you've heard it said, religion should make you feel bad about yourself. Religious sh- religion should feel like a heavy weight that you know you can never carry. Religion makes you want to hide and pretend. Mm. But I say to you, (laughs) join me. Let me teach you these unforced rhythms of grace. Let me set you free. Let me launch you into the world. I mean, it's a total 180, um, which is really beautiful. That's beautiful. No wonder they called it good news. That's right. That's exactly right. Actually good news. That's exactly right. And I know you have an, just through your, what I've read about you and we've never met in person, but just what I've read, watching other podcasts and interviews with you, you have an incredible love for your family, incredible Mm, love for your wife, Shauna, and for your two little boys. As your sons grow up, they're 11 and six now. It's Henry and Matt growing to be the young men that God created them to be. 
what do you hope for them spiritually? Yeah. Looking at that as a dad who's laying a pathway, cutting down the brush to get them where God wants them to go. 10 years from now, 15 years from now, what do you want their spiritual lives to look like? Well, first, I hope they're both starting on the Chicago Cubs. So, uh, <laughs> and funding your book. That's what it is. <laughs> Second base and catcher. I Absolutely. Think that's, that's Absolutely. They would, they would be, you know, you know, on one hand, I would love to protect them from the great disillusionment that they're going to experience. Um, and on the other hand, I know it's the only way forward. Right. You know, it's like, you know, the Paschal mystery that that life only comes out of the resurrection that only happens through death. That's right. And That's so good. it's really conflicting. I, I, as a dad, I want to save my kids from those deaths. But then I think I would be stopping them from those resurrections. And so I think, you know, the best that I can hope for is can we build the kind of family that when the deaths come, we're there in, in, in it with them. That's Where, so yeah, when those things happen, they don't have to run, they don't have to pretend, um, but they can say, you know, this is over or this has died or whatever it is. And we can lean in, we can weep with them, we can, and then we can celebrate uh, resurrection. So I'm hoping it maybe, maybe this is uh, a, a humble uh, hope, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to walk with them through whatever the journey uh, brings. That's so good. Well, I yeah. want you to know, man, you, you, you got them on the right path and you have the oh, right thanks. heart. And number one, I pray that God continues to use you in great ways. And uh, especially as a, as a husband and a dad, but even more, uh, man, just that influence that you have in your home every mm. day, mm. you know, you just keep growing in that. Aaron, thank yeah. you so oh, thank much you. for your yeah. time. It has been a joy yeah. to be with you. I know that everybody, uh, we're going to encourage everybody will be in our show notes, a link to your book that they oh, can go picking up. Wonderful. And, uh, but man, thank you again. And it's been an honor to have you on here today, buddy. Agreed. So good to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed my time with Aaron. You know what I loved about that time and that interview is it was different, totally different pace, totally different way of looking at things. But yet to be the leader that God created us to be, there are times we've got to look at it from a whole different vantage point and learn some lessons other people have had to learn, maybe even the hard way, but lessons that God wants us to know. And I love that that term we talked about, managing the present. You know, I don't know about you. I can get caught up in the past, and I can get focused on the future, and I can miss what God has for me right now. And I don't know the season that you're walking in, but maybe, just maybe, that was exactly what you needed. That was exactly um, what you needed to hear. Maybe going out and picking up Aaron's new book, The Current, is one that you will really enjoy. I know this. 
God has used Aaron in so many people's lives. In every episode, we always have a phrase that we take away. And my phrase for Aaron's time with us was pace, learning to pace. I'm not a real good pacer. I'm a good sprinter. I am a good um, run quickly in the moment guy. But sometimes I don't do real well with pace. Uh, Hurriedness can definitely enter my life as it probably does yours. The more we want to do and the bigger things we want to accomplish, I think times we can hurry through really what God has for us. Man, Aaron was so good. And the thought of learning that the kingdom of God is so big and learning to swim in that current of God is is just something that we don't think about a whole lot. And Aaron definitely helped expand my horizons and think a little bit differently than maybe I had ever thought before. Thank you, Aaron, so much for joining us. I know I am sure better for our time together. Well, our next episode is a a big one for us. It'll be our 30th episode of the Lynch with a Leader podcast. And we're going to sit down with Dave Ramsey personality and really one of the best interviewers out there. He's in the Kerry Newhoff category of interviewing. He runs the Entree Leadership Podcast. His name is Ken Coleman. Ken was a riveting interview. Ken has sat down with some of America's greatest leaders, and we get to pick his brain since he's picked all their brains, and he's one of those great leaders. So, man, it is a chock-full episode. If this is of help to you, I hope you'll share it on social media, maybe on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You'll let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Invite them to join with you. They can join by listening uh, at MikeLynch.com, or they can go to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and now our newest uh, outlet, Google Play and they can listen to the monthly podcast. And the best way to do that, subscribe, so you make sure you never miss an episode. Once again, thanks for joining us today. And I hope today you'll go be the leader that God created you to be in the place that he's put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.